Tonight we are in chapter 25 of the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 25. And uh, we're in the middle of looking at the different sacred objects of that we're going to go into the tabernacle. These sacred items of furnishing that were used in the worship and service of the Lord. And I was thinking about when this, all these instructions were being given to Moses. And while all of these instructions about the tabernacle are being given to Moses, Moses is on the mountain with the Lord, isn't he? So Moses has been summoned to the top of Mount Sinai. And there have been rumblings and earthquakes and smoke descending on the mountain In fact, it said that Moses, when he got to the top of the mountain, he waited for six days before the Lord even spoke to him on the seventh day. And so he's up there. And and one of the things that we've seen already, we'll see it again tonight, is a reference to the fact that God apparently revealed to Moses the, 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 the true tabernacle. And what he is asking Moses and the Israelites to build on earth is a copy of the true heavenly tabernacle. Can you imagine what Moses saw on that mountain? That's incredible, isn't it? I mean, if if you think about all the people who have ever lived on the face of the earth, no one ever got to see the things that Moses saw. I mean, at least while they were alive, before they went on to glory, right? Before they went to be with the Lord, while they were still here, alive and breathing, the things that Moses was able to see that God revealed to him, just incredible. And what Moses is being asked to do, essentially, is to create a little bit of that mountaintop experience, that that true heavenly picture of the presence of God, God is asking Moses to recreate that in a sense, in a, in a finite way, in the tabernacle, in the midst of the congregation of Israel. And the whole, all of it, the tabernacle and all of the sacred furnishings that were to go inside of it, all of it was about God dwelling with his people, relating to his people, fellowshipping with the people that he chose and redeemed out of slavery, out of Egypt. God is meeting with Moses so that God can meet with his people, so he can dwell among them. Last week we saw that the the instructions for the building of the tabernacle actually started not with the tabernacle itself, but started with the furnishings that would go inside of the tabernacle. And the very first one that it talked about was the most important furnishing of all, which was the Ark of the Covenant. And the reason why that one is the most important is because that is the place where God's presence would be associated. Specifically above that atonement cover, that mercy seat, between the cherubim, that is where the presence of God would dwell with his people. And isn't it interesting that in the very place where God's glory would rest, that is also the very place where the atoning blood would be applied. Meaning that in order for God to dwell in the midst of a sinful people, atonement would have to be made. 
animals would have to shed their blood and die so that God, a holy God, could dwell in the midst of his people. Shows us the holiness of God, how mighty and awesome he is. And so as God is giving these instructions to Moses, he's not only giving him verbal instructions, he's showing him what he wants him to make. Which I think is important for us to remember too, because as we read through some of these descriptions of the different items that were to be made, there's not enough here. It's not like a blueprint. It's not that specific. He gives certain dimensions. He gives certain materials that were to be used. But there's a lot that's left out in terms of how this is actually supposed to look and what the molding, for example, what that's supposed to look like. Uh, how long are, like with the table that we're going to look at tonight, how long are the legs going to be? A lot, a lot is not specifically mentioned in Scripture, but that's because God showed it to Moses on the mountain. He showed him what it was to look like, and the, what they made on earth was patterned after that. Tonight we're going to look at two items of furniture that went inside the tabernacle, specifically the table of the bread of presence and the lampstand. And these two pieces of furniture were in not in the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, but they were in the holy place, the place just outside of the curtain, outside of the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. These two were these were two very important and holy pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. And so let's read this text together. We're going to start in verse 23 of Exodus 25 and read through the end of the chapter in verse 40. The Lord told Moses, make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, a cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. And also around it, a rim, a handbreadth wide, and put a gold molding on the rim. Make four gold rings, for the table, and fasten them to the four corners where the four legs are. The rings are to be close to the rim to hold the poles used in carrying the table. Make the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold, and carry the table with them. And make its plates and dishes of pure gold, as well as its pitchers and bowls for the pouring out of offerings. Put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me, at all times. Make a lampstand of pure gold. Hammer out its base and shaft and make its flower-like cups, buds and blossoms of one piece with them. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand, there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and branches shall be of one piece with a lampstand hammered out of pure gold. Then make it seven lamps and set them on it so that they can light the space in front of it. 
Its wick trimmers and trays are to be of pure gold. A talent of pure gold is to be used for the lampstand. And all these accessories, see that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can look at these words together, these holy words that you have revealed to your servant Moses and that you have preserved for us, that we might read them and understand more of who you are and how you related to your people Israel. Lord, there's much for us to learn here in the way that you deal with sinful people and in the way that you are gracious and merciful to sinful people. And Lord, I pray that you teach us these lessons and help us to see how Christ, the Lord, fulfills the pictures that we see in this chapter in Exodus. Lord, bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the commentaries that I was reading for this passage I thought made a very great observation that I think helps put into perspective many of the things that we're going to look at in this in this passage tonight, as well as with all the furnishings of the tabernacle. And he said, think of the tabernacle like a house. And the tabernacle was a house. It was God's house. And what would you expect to find when you went into a house? you would expect to find a table where people would eat. You would go into this house and you would, you would expect to find lamps for light at nighttime. And, and so he was just bringing out the fact that all of these things symbolize God's house. And this is, the, this is showing that God is dwelling. He is living in the midst of his people. And I thought that was very, very interesting. As we, as we think about the table tonight, in verse 23 through verse 30, we see a table of bread in God's house. And as I thought about both of these pieces of furniture, I think sometimes we focus on the object itself, and we think about the design of it. We think about what it's made out of. You know, we, we've seen different artistic representations of these pieces of furniture in the tabernacle, But I think it's important for us to remember that each of these furnishings, they were sacred, they were holy, but they served a function inside the tabernacle. In other words, they were there for a purpose. So it's almost like we need to think about, okay, this is how it was made, but what was it made for? What was its purpose? And and it seems that the main purpose for the table is to hold the bread. It is the place where bread was. It was essentially a place for a meal. It was a place for food and for sustenance. When we think about the lampstand, what what is a lampstand for? A lampstand is to hold the lamps on top. And what are the lamps for? They're to provide light. And so the table and the lampstand essentially represent food, sustenance, and light. And both of those come from the Lord, don't they, to his people. And so let's look at the table of bread in God's house. Just a little bit about the design or the plans for the table. We see, first of all, that it was to be made very similarly to the Ark of the Covenant. Same materials, acacia wood overlaid with gold. The dimensions are a little bit different. It's a little bit smaller than the Ark of the Covenant, but it was to be the same height as the Ark of the Covenant. 
a cubit and a half in height, about 27 inches high. The Lord told uh, Moses that he was to make a molding around this of pure gold, and this molding was to be beautiful, to make it ornate, a very beautiful piece of furnishing in the tabernacle. It was to have a rim around it. And most most who have studied this passage suggest that the, the purpose for the rim is to be like a little lip on the edge of the table so that the bread would not slide off or even the bowls or the plates would not slide off of the table. And so you had this rim around it. There were four legs supporting the table. And at the very top where the legs came up to meet the table, there would be four rings. And these rings would be made out of gold. And just like the Ark of the Covenant, they were to take uh, poles of acacia wood overlay them with gold and put them through the rings. And that was for the purpose of carrying this sacred table. And when this furnishing was placed inside of the holy place, it was placed as you would go into the tabernacle through the entrance, it would be on the right side, just outside of the most holy place. So it would be to the north and then on the south would be the lampstand just across from it. There were also accessories that God told Moses to make, plates and dishes, pitchers and bowls, and all of those were to be made out of pure gold. And again, as we've seen before, that God called for gold inside this holy place because it is the most precious metal. It's the best that they could give to God. We see how important this sacred piece of furnishing was in the instructions even given to move it in numbers chapter four, verses seven and eight. It says that, that when they were to move and go from place to place, when they would move the tabernacle, that they were to place over the table of the presence, a blue cloth and put it on the plates, the dishes and the bowls and the jars for the drink offerings. And the bread that is continually there is to remain on it. Isn't that significant that even when they were moving this table from place to place while they were transporting the tabernacle and the furnishings, they weren't supposed to take the bread off of it. In other words, there was supposed to be bread on that table at all times, night and day perpetually. And what we read in Leviticus is that once a week on the Sabbath day, they would bake new bread and they would replace it with new bread, and the priests were to eat the bread in the presence of the Lord in the tabernacle. And so there was always to be bread on this table. So what's the purpose of this table? The obvious purpose is to hold the bread, right? But why is that? Why is this bread supposed to be there? And what does this bread represent? Well, as we look at Exodus, as well as some places in Leviticus, and numbers, we see that this bread was to be there continually. In Exodus 29, we see that this bread was unleavened bread, just like the bread they used in the Passover. This was a sacred, consecrated bread. So it was not for normal use. It was dedicated to the Lord as an offering, and as a part of that offering, only the priests could take part in eating of it as a part of the offering to the Lord. And the bread that was to be made on it was, there were supposed to be 12 loaves of bread, which represent the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And so, meaning that, that these tribes are right there, represented before the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, just outside of the most holy place in the tabernacle. There were to be two stacks of bread, six on each side, on top of this table. And so Israel was represented by these pieces of bread. And the bread was to be baked and placed on the table there every Sabbath. And then what the older bread that was replaced was to be eaten by Aaron, the high priest, as well as the priest, the high priest that would follow in his line. It was their portion of the consecrated bread. But what's the theological significance? A couple of uh, things that I read suggested that in the ancient world, in some of the other religions, such as in Canaan, in Babylon, some of the other ancient Near Eastern religions, that the people would actually provide food for their gods. And, and so as a part of their ritual of worship, they would provide food for the gods. But in what we've been able to read from these ancient forms of worship in these polytheistic worship ceremonies, they would give food to their gods every day. In other words, they, they felt like they needed to provide sustenance and nourishment for their gods every day. And one of the commentaries I read had a great point. It said that, that, uh, in the ancient world, they would set out these different things to eat for the gods. But in these other places, it was carried out on a daily practice, but not in Israel. In Israel, this, ta- this bread that was placed on the table was once a week. And he says, apparently, it would have been too much for their deities to survive on one meal a week. But the Lord... He says, he goes on to say, but Yahweh does not merely have a metabolism which functions at one-seventh the rate for normal deities. He does not consume the bread at all, right? The Lord doesn't need the bread. He doesn't eat the bread. Psalm 50, verse number 12 said, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. And so there's actually, I think, a, a difference, a contrast being drawn between all these other religions around Israel and the religion of the one true God. And these other religions, they thought they had to take care of their gods. They had to feed them. They had to sustain them. But the way that Israel thinks of their God is completely the opposite. They, re- they recognize that they are the ones who are provided for by their God. And so what does this bread represent? This bread represents the provision of the Lord. That God is providing for his people. But even above that, I think it represents something significant about the covenant relationship that is there between the Lord and his people. Do you remember in Exodus 24, just a a couple of chapters ago, that that there was a, a ratification, a ceremony ratifying the covenant between the Lord and his people. And after that covenant was officially ratified, it says that the elders of Israel went up partway on the mountain, and it says that they ate in the presence of the Lord. Whenever a covenant was made like that in the ancient world, they would seal that covenant and demonstrate that covenant symbolically through the sharing of a meal. And it's interesting that in the very next chapter, 
we see bread being set out in the presence of the Lord. Symbolically representing, I think, this this, uh, relationship of peace that exists between the Lord and his people. Such that, in essence, it's basically saying there's always bread in the Lord's house. There's always bread in the Lord's house. And he is always there to provide and to sustain his people. And so it symbolizes the, the provision of the Lord. It also symbolizes his presence, that, that God is there. Bread needs to continually be, be provided and sustained there, not because God needs it, but because it symbolically represents that someone is living there. There's always bread in the house because someone is always there. And the Lord is always present in the midst of his people. And so it, it symbolizes the Lord's presence. It symbolizes his provision. And also it symbolizes the gratitude that the people are to give to the Lord. At one point in this passage, it, re- it makes reference to the fact that there were offerings involved. Pour, pouring out offerings as well as food offerings. And that suggests that, that the baking and the providing of this bread was in essence like an act of thanksgiving to the Lord, acknowledging and honoring the fact that he had provided for them and that he was their source of food and sustenance. When they were in the wilderness and they were hungry, what did God provide for them? He provided bread, didn't he? He provided manna from heaven. This bread represents that. This bread represents the continual provision of the Lord. And isn't it interesting that one of the things that was placed inside of the Ark of the Covenant, uh, aside from the tablets of the covenant law, was one of the bowls of manna. Reminding the people that the Lord was their provision. He was their source of food and, and sustenance. But now we come to the New Testament. And we think about, well, what does this mean for me as a Christian in the New Testament? We think about the fact that we, we no longer need a gold table like this, right? We don't have a tabernacle. We don't have a gold table. We don't bake bread on a weekly basis and, and lay this out to be in the presence of the Lord. But what did Jesus say when he came in the gospel of John? He said, I am the bread of life, didn't he? He said, I am the bread of life. And those who feed on me, they will never hunger. And so Jesus is, in a sense, fulfilling what this table represents, this table of of bread in the presence of the Lord. Jesus is that bread. And Jesus comes to give life to his people. And those who feed on him, as he says in John chapter 6, they will never go hungry again. And they will have life, eternal life. And so Jesus fulfills what this picture of the table of bread represents. Then we also see the lampstand. The lampstand is made out of pure gold, so there's no wood involved in the lampstand. It is made out of pure gold. It is, it is beat with a hammer and then shaped. And it takes the shape of what we would probably recognize as a menorah. And it's interesting, isn't it, that even modern-day Judaism, what is their primary symbol of their faith? It's a menorah, isn't it? It is this lampstand. It is this seven-branched lampstand. And so there was a base, there was a shaft coming up, kind of the main stand, if you will, and then off of that stand there were 
three branches on each side, so seven in total. And then we read about the fact that there were supposed to be very articulately made designs in this lampstand. And they were to represent little blossoms and cups, flowers that most see as coming from the almond tree, kind of patterned after an almond tree and these little blossoms and and buds that were on this lamp. And many people have seen in that a representation of a tree. And some have seen in that specifically a representation of the tree of life from the Garden of Eden in Genesis. And that God is the giver of light and the giver of life to his people. From a practical standpoint, as the priests would minister in the tabernacle, they would need light to minister, right? So this served a functional purpose to provide light in the midst of the sanctuary, but it also has theological significance, doesn't it? Because one of the great themes throughout the Bible is light. What was the very first thing that God spoke into existence in Genesis 1? Let there be light. Light throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, light is always seen in a positive reference. Light always represents guidance. It represents life. It represents that which is necessary for life. It represents the truth, finding the truth in God. Light is is stated positively all throughout Scripture, and it's a prominent theme. And so here is light in the midst of God's people. And, and so what is the theological significance of this? Well, one, again, just like the bread, I think the presence of light in the tabernacle reminds the people that God is there. The presence of God. Do you remember that old commercial? It might even still be on the air. Uh, I remember hearing it more on radio than on television. Was it Tom Bodette, Motel 6? Well, we'll leave the light on for you, Right. Meaning, if you go by and the light's on, it means someone's home, right? It means that someone is dwelling there. And it's interesting that during the the twilight and during the dark hours, these lamps were to be always burning. Always. So the priests were to light these lamps every dusk, and then they were to extinguish them every morning when the sun came up. But... Every single day, even the Sabbath day, all the time, these lamps were to be burning. Why? To show that God's presence is always there among his people. So just as there's always food in God's house, there's always an open door and a welcome place in God's house because the light is always on. God is present among his people. But then also, I think we see in Scripture that light and life go together. Light and life go together. You can see this in the opening chapter of the Gospel of John, where it talks about the Word, Jesus becoming flesh and dwelling among us, literally tabernacling among us. And what does it say in John 1.14? We saw His glory. We saw His glory, meaning Jesus is that Shekinah glory of God that came to dwell and rest in that tabernacle in the midst of His people. Jesus is the light of the world, isn't he? He's the light of the world. John 1 says that when Jesus came, that Jesus was the light of life. He was the light of life. 
And those who, fo- who follow the light and trust in Jesus as the light, what do they find? They find eternal life. And so I think this lampstand represents, one, again, the abiding presence of God in the midst of his people, but also reminding his people that he is the source of life. He is the source of light, the source of wisdom, the source of truth and guidance in their midst. And if they are to have life, they're to find it in God. He is their all. And so it is here to remind the people of the presence of the Lord and that he is their source of life. I think also, too, the, just the beauty of this lampstand reminds us that the worship of God is beautiful. The worship of God is beautiful and is to be undertaken in a very respectful way. The worship of God is reverent. And all of these things point to the reverence and the sacredness of worshiping God in his presence. And I just want to finish with verse number 40 where it says, see that you make these things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. And I mentioned this at the beginning, that when Moses was up on the mountain, God showed him the reality, didn't he? God showed him the reality. Here is what this looks like. He showed him a heavenly view of a heavenly tabernacle. And he said, now take this image that I have shown you and make a representation of it on earth. Excuse me, make a pattern after what I have shown you on the mountain. And it's interesting that when you look at these pieces of furniture, especially in the lampstand, it's almost as if you are reaching backward and forward. The lampstand, if it does represent a tree, the tree of life, it draws us back to the Garden of Eden and reminds us that this is how it's supposed to be with people dwelling in the presence of God. In a perfect world, without sin, without trouble, without hardship, this is how it was intended to be from the very beginning. But also, because this is just a pattern of what is to come, it reminds us that there is still a future hope for us, isn't there? That one day we will be truly in the presence of God. Right now, as the church, when we gather, we're in the presence of God. We saw this last week, that when the people of God are gathered together, we form a temple. And the Holy Spirit is there in our midst. But there's still a a higher reality. There's still a greater reality future fulfillment awaiting us, isn't there? One day the new Jerusalem will come down. One day there won't be any need for a sun or a moon because God in his glory will give them light. He will be the light of all people. He'll be the light of life and he and his glory will be there in the midst. He will be our constant provision and sustenance. What a joy that will be when we have the opportunity to be in the presence of God. This tabernacle, this tent, it's just, a, it's just a representation, isn't it? And even later on, when Solomon built the temple, which was so much grander, it was beautiful. It was a permanent temple. And instead of one lampstand, we read in Solomon's temple, there were ten lampstands. It was a place of beauty where God was worshipped. But even that temple paled in comparison to what we will have one day in glory, doesn't it? When we are gathered around the throne of God and God in our midst. We look forward to that day. 
In the meantime, as God's people, let us remember that God is always our source of provision. He's our bread. He's the bread of life. And let's always remember that God is our light, that he leads us, that he guides us, and that he is our source of life. And that both of those things, both bread and light, are fulfilled for us in his son, Jesus Christ. And that by trusting in him, we have provision not only for our physical needs, but we have provision for eternal life. By trusting in him, we have not only light and guidance for here on earth, we have light that leads us to eternal life. So may we remember how great and gracious our God has been. Let's remember that he is among us and we worship him as he is present among us. And then let's give thanks for how good he's been to us. And in hope, in faith, look forward to that future day when all of these types and shadows will find their ultimate fulfillment. Let's bow in prayer together. Father of grace, we thank you that you have been a place of shelter, a place of sustenance, a source of light for your people from generation to generation. Tonight we read in the book of Exodus how you were a source of food and sustenance. You were a source of light for your people as they wandered through the wilderness, as you led them to the promised land. God, you took care of them. You led them and you were there with them in their midst. Father, today help us to remember that you too right now still are our source of sustenance and life. You are the light that guides us to eternal life, that guides us into truth. We thank you so much for the Lord Jesus who has come to give us eternal life and to provide everything that we need for a life in eternity with you. God bless us as your people. May we always be thankful and grateful for that which you have given that we do not deserve. Lord, bless us as we go, and Lord, help us. Help us now as your people to be a source of light to the world. May we be a light that shines in the midst of this world that points other people to you. So Lord, bless us as we go. May your grace rest upon us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.